Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where we talk about nostalgic movies from our days and TV shows and do recastings of either those shows or whatever the fuck we want. Like today, we are going to be doing a recasting of Agency X, which is a Marvel superhero team? Sure, (laughs) let's say that. (laughs) And we're going to review The Rescuers from 1977 and do a TV review of Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers that ran from 1988 to 1990. So it's an all-rodent rescuer episode besides the casting. Besides the casting, yes. And we kind of started a a new thing the last episode, which I admittedly stole from another podcast because I liked that they did it, um, where they talk about other things that happened during a specific year. And I'm mostly, we're going to stick with whatever year the movie came out. So for this one, we're talking about 1977, which oddly enough is before I was born. So we're talking, about a few years before I was born. I just kind of talk about a few things that happened that year. A couple of things of note that happened. A little film called Star Wars premiered at the box office. Never heard of it. (laughs) Directed by George Lucas. You know, the guy who made American Graffiti. Uh, Yeah, okay. And the THX movie. That's the one I know. THX 1138. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Exactly. Album of the year at the Grammys that year was Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. That is an amazing album. Great album. That stands the test of time, that's for damn sure. Yes. A couple of things other of note. This is just really things to piss everyone off. <laughs> Elvis Presley was found dead on his crapper that year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good old Elvis. And uh, the king died on his throne, if you will. Yes, he did. The average cost of a new house in 1977 was $49,000. Yeah, that definitely pisses me off. And you could get a BMW 320i for just under $8,000 fucking that's the year to live 1977 yes of course that was right when they had the gas crisis and uh gas prices went up and there was so little gas that you had to wait in line for hours to get gas and they instituted at one point something where like if your last name started with a certain letter you could only go on monday wednesday fridays and sundays and on if your name started with another letter it's you can only do it on you know odd days and even days or whatever so i don't know if it was the greatest time to live yeah maybe fucking government tell me when i can get my gas (laughs) i'm a crotchety old man now don't tell me when i want to buy my gas what does that make me i'm american i get gas whenever i want All right, so those are those are some significant events of note that happened in 1977. Well, thank you, John. Uh, a reminder to everyone that we are a bi-weekly podcast, and we only put out episodes every other week because we both have jobs and lives, and it's a, a lot of time and effort to do this. So make sure you subscribe, and so you don't miss us every time we come out. That's right. So let's go ahead and move on to the rescuers. So as John mentioned, this movie came out in 1977. It's kind of an animation classic. I feel it's kind of well known. I haven't rewatched this movie in a long time. I feel I remember The Rescuers Down Under much more than I remembered The Rescuers, but I'm kind of glad we're starting with the with the first one. I was the opposite. I remembered The Rescuers. I don't even know that I've actually seen The Rescuers Down Under. Oh, okay. But I definitely remembered this one. Okay, yeah. I there was a lot that I just it did not click for me. It's been years and years that I just kind of almost forgot this one, and the and the second one is hopefully one we'll review later. But that was the one that that I guess was more 
my movie than this one. Okay. So this one starts with a push-in on a busted boat. We have a girl, there's some alligators, and a message in a bottle gets thrown out into the sea. And we get a Rescue Me song is playing. It's, it's kind of like artistic style. You get like their paintings. You get kind of camera moves on painting look yeah. is how this animation style starts off. A lot of stills and then just kind of camera moves on still pictures. Um, I mean, that's kind of like an old technique. It, it fits with how they how the look of, of that time. Um, and it looks fine. I, I, I didn't hate the animation. It wasn't great. But I mean, for 1977, I think it worked worked just fine. It was kind of a last the last movie in a style that included movies like The Sword in the Stone, mm-hmm. Robin Hood, maybe The Aristocrats a little bit, or Aristocats, excuse me, I mispronounced that. Aristocrats is a very different movie. Yeah. Great documentary though. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this, uh, I remember that this one, that lead animator was the last animator to work with Walt Disney when he was alive. Oh, okay. This was that animator's last film, I believe. So they, they definitely used a, 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 an older style, but I think they were trying to go for something a little bit more artistic. It is different from the other Disney films that you see. Yeah, it looks good though. I mean, it's a very hand-drawn look to it yeah. with the animation, which you get, I mean, even going into the 80s and, and some more Disney's stuff as they get even though it was still hand-drawn it started to look cleaner and probably done on more computers down the line obviously until it became more and more computer animation but like this it screams hand-drawn animation on cells and it looks good though i like that it's kind of it's got a good classic-y look feel to it yeah this movie stars bob newhart and ava gabor as bernard and bianca as our two main mice i'm not entirely positive because I, I didn't look at but uh, having looked at the cast list i'm pretty sure bob newhart is the only member of this cast who's still alive oh he's still alive yeah he, he's been, <laughs> i'm he, just kidding i think i knew i think i knew that he's been on the bit on the big bang theory recently he won an emmy for it oh, okay. his first emmy was for being on the big bang theory if you can believe that's it. funny yeah that is, I mean, even with the Bob Newhart show and everything like that, wow, that is kind of surprising. Yep. Uh, okay, so he's the last one alive on this group. But yeah, so we see the, we keep kind of showing this message in a bottle from the title sequence that's going across, and the eventually the message lands on a beach, and we have a bunch of mice pulling it out and, and reading it. Uh, we cut to an airport, and these mice are getting out of human bags. It's kind of like, oh, okay, all right. So we are diving into a world where mice are pretty much just like humans. Anthropomorphic animals are kind of uh, a thing with Disney, for sure. But here we have a society where the mice are mice, but they have their own kind of human world subculture within the human world. The humans don't interact with them, but they kind of... The, hu- the mice are just like humans, but in smaller form. Yeah, kind of a precursor to... Um, oh, shit, what's the name of that movie with Fievel? Uh American Tale. Yeah, kind of a precursor to American Tale, mm-hmm. where little animals are living anthropomorphically, if that's a word, alongside people, but separate from people. So the mice are all getting together in this airport, and we find out that they are the Rescue Aid Society. Kind of a UN, United Nations of, of mice. Yes, there's a delegate from like each country, basically, even though it wasn't that correct, because I saw a delegate from France right next to a delegate from Vienna. From Vienna! Which one is a fucking <laughs> a city, and the rest of it is a country. I saw that too. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> 
<laughs> so that was weird. Uh, but they kind of, they show a brief thing of like the history of their society, which was started by Euripides' mouse. He was the mouse that pulled the thorn from the lion's paw. It kind of like a, a throwback to classic fables and yeah. stuff. I thought that was funny, honestly. It was, and I, I had never noticed it until the rewatching that I did uh, the other day. Yeah, exactly. I, me too. I, I didn't get that, but... It was cute. It just kind of comes out of nowhere that they're just a society who like to rescue and help people. They have their own, like, song and chant kind of thing. R-E-S-C-U-E, rescue a society. You just kind of dive into the world of, all right, they're a group of rescuers. We don't need much other setup besides that. And um, we see Bernard, who is the janitor. And Bianca is the delegate from Hungary, and Bianca, voiced by Ebi Gavor, is kind of the the hot mouse, if you will. Everybody loves her. And she is from Hungary. Ebi Gavor was from Hungary, so that was a tie-in to her. Oh, nice. We see kind of some setups that Bernard is superstitious, and he's kind of a, just kind of a scaredy mouse to an extent, but not really. Yeah, anytime the number 13 comes up, he's, he's very apprehensive. Which, you gotta admit, Bob Newhart sort of plays that awkward, almost stuttering character because i've seen him do that in other stuff he does that very well definitely the mice pull out the letter we kind of find out about this girl penny who is in trouble bianca asks for the assignment and we get definitely some moments where this is this is a product of its time uh we get a line of it's a man's world and the other mice don't want her to go by herself because she's just a woman and so they're gonna send another a male mouse with her and she chooses bernard the janitor i guess because he just seemed nice i don't really get it <laughs> she doesn't seem very smart for as nice as she is she really doesn't seem very smart and and i was going to talk about this later but i'm going to bring it up now which upset me a little bit because she is a delegate for this society, so she should be kind of like the leader. But she really just takes a backseat to Bernard whenever they get going. Like, he's just a fucking janitor. Right. And she is supposed to be, like, a rescuer, and she really should be the person who's in the lead and telling him what to do and not it's a man's world kind of bullshit. Right. But the second that they get going, it's him making all the decisions and him kind of, like, protecting her, and it's just like, no, 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 no. He's a janitor who's kind of bumbling his way into this she should be a much stronger character than she is but she's honestly just kind of like a dumb pretty mouse that's all she's kind of meant to be which is really annoying almost kind of like the dumb housewife role yeah didn't work for me at all that aspect yeah they take a bus to new york city kind of a throwaway scene honestly we didn't really need that and then we cut to Morningside Orphanage, where Penny had been staying, but now she's in trouble. So that's where they go to investigate first. Bernard and Bianca find their way in. They go through Penny's stuff, and they find this old cat. And it's kind of, you're expecting a crazy scene to happen with the old cat. Mice! Cat! Now, look here, you two. If folks find out that mice moved in here, I'll get kicked out. Lose my job. But it's actually a nice cat, and it's like, I'm too old to chase mice and, <laughs> and whatnot, but, so it's not dangerous. But it's just kind of a cute scene there. We find out that Penny ran away pretty much because she's sad that she hasn't been adopted. She's apparently, she's too ugly to get adopted. You know what? I have to say, this is one of the saddest Disney movies. Yeah. And I kind of remembered it being so. It's quite emotional throughout a lot of it. And it, it probably hit me more now as a parent. Mm -hmm. I see Penny and I imagine my daughter. And my daughter, oddly enough, kind of looks like Penny a little bit. If I did her hair like Penny, she'd look a little bit like her. And so now I just get, it kind of makes me imagine my own kid in that situation. 
situation. And maybe it was just because of that. I found it way more sad than I probably originally intended it to be. Yeah, but you're right, though. There were there are tons of just kind of like depressing moments. And there's a lack of uplifting music. The the whole the animation, the, the color scheme that they use is very dark as well, which doesn't help. Yeah. Something like the rescuers down under, like that's very bright. They're outdoors. They're in Australia. You get a lot of yellows from the deserty kind of look and stuff like that, where this one, they're in dark New York or in dark Louisiana, kind of in the swamp area. Right. And so you get like just dark colors the entire time. And I think that mixed in with these aspects of this poor girl and the depressive moments that she's got. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is a bit of a sad film. Yeah. But yes, we, we see some more scenes of Bernard is kind of like acting as detective where honestly it should be Bianca leading it, but yeah, I already mentioned that and that really did just kind of Kind of irks me, and that would really make more sense. But Bernard and Bianca then go to a shop where they heard Penny might have been adopted. We meet Madame Medusa, who... I like the animation for Madame Medusa. She, I mean, she looks like a creepy lady to me, and I think that just the way they animated, the way she moves, and her eyes a lot, all of that made her look like a, a pretty good villain. She's not top-tier Disney villain by any means, right? but she's solid, and she's, she's a bitch, and I don't like her. <laughs> and so they did, they did a good job with that. Yeah. The lead animator was the one who originally drew her, I believe. His drawing was so good, none of the other animators could copy it. So he had to do all of the animation for Medusa. That's really cool. So we're in the shop. We hear a phone ringing. We kind of find out through context that Medusa is looking for a diamond. And it's at Devil's Bayou. Very good name for a Louisiana bayou. Which I don't think they actually say Louisiana, but it's implied enough that you would assume it's Louisiana. So Bernard and Bianca kind of sneak into her luggage but they fall out that whole little scene where they're kind of they're in the luggage and then the luggage falls out i think at the car and all this stuff it's a another random throwaway scene which doesn't matter because they just cut to them getting to the airport right some of the problems i've got with this film is the writing where things don't come back right. at the end like you, they set up some stuff or they do some stuff that honestly doesn't matter you can just cut those scenes or they never come back and it doesn't make any sense i i'm assuming they just had those as padding scenes because the film finished is only 77 minutes long and if they cut some of this other stuff it would they could make this an hour-long movie easy and it would probably be better for it right but i imagine they wanted to kind of pad it so they can get a full-length feature size out of it so they get to their quote-unquote airport and they fly albatross air services listen here buster i'm as fit as a fiddle and you look simply wonderful captain oh shucks just call me orville little lady we see this dumbish albatross landing who doesn't land very well. Obviously, Bernard is superstitious about it. And there's other superstitious aspects of its flight 13. And he has to go up 13 steps to get on the back of the of the albatross. So just random superstition things. But the superstition stuff never comes back. There's no payoff for him being superstitious. Right. It's just, I guess it's just a character trait. But we don't really see him get over it. We don't see it come back to help a situation it's just oh i'm scared of 13 like that's it yeah that's all it is just just to kind of establish him as a scaredy cat but it doesn't do anything for us and so that's why i don't really like some of the writing in this movie no i can see that so they get on orville it's a funny moment of flying with him he jumps off the building they don't think that they're gonna make it and then they kind of straighten out and they fly and a song plays as they're flying and it's a fucking lame song <laughs> come along Silver lining, come along. 
the music in this movie, maybe it's just because it's dated, but they're not really good songs. They're kind of also depressing sounding songs. They're not uplifting. Yeah. They're just kind of like, they're not good. One thing that I do want to add is that scene where they take off and they start falling off the building and then they start to straighten off. This is another one of those infamous Disney scenes. An animator, a very um, interesting animator. Cheeky? Yeah, a cheeky animator, if you will, added some frames that they probably shouldn't have. And you see them flying past these windows and there's a couple frames of a topless woman in a window. And if you aren't going frame by frame, you'll never catch it. Unfortunately, they took it out in the 1992 home release version of the film. So you're not going to find it in streaming. I checked. I'm, I checked for you people. I didn't check for me. I wasn't doing it for myself. I, I'm a good movie reviewer and I had to make sure it wasn't there. But you can, you can find the pictures online. If you have like an older version previous to the 1992 home release, you can find frames of a topless woman in a window as they're soaring down, afraid that they're going to crash on the ground, but they then they straighten out. So anyway, just another one of those fun, quirky, cheeky Disney moments. <laughs> we'll probably have more of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're infamous. But I kind of love that they're a thing now. I love that it's just like there's a whole group of them all over the place in tons of movies. We get into the bayou. We see Penny is not happy at that boat and she runs away. Medusa sicks her alligators on her and the alligators are Brutus and Nero. Uh, and the alligators, I like the alligators. They look cool. They're, if you're a kid, they're probably fairly menacing. They're well-trained alligators, I will say. Yes. I mean, they're basically like great guard dogs. Medusa hops on this rocket swamp boat thing, which looked really <laughs> cool, honestly. And they set off fireworks as a distraction, which doesn't make any damn sense. Mr. Snoops sets them off. I don't I don't understand why he did that. Pretty much that was just a catalyst to distract Bernard and Bianca for pretty much no reason because they didn't know they were coming. But it just kind of makes them fall out of Orville and they all kind of like end up crashing down into the bayou. Next to some locals. Yes, next to some locals. Yeah, very stereotypical moonshine drinking locals I, I i like the voicing of the i can't even remember their characters names it's luke and ellie may very sort of stereotypical sort of redneck you got a, a dumb skinny guy and a big old woman with a literally wielding a uh, rolling pin yes and that's how she beats up people later <laughs> yes luke though voiced by a guy named pat buttram who if you've watched any of the older disney stuff very distinct voice Shucks, Ellie, man. I was just uh, waiting for someone to holler, charge! You can pick Pat Butcherm out of anything. I know I've heard him before. Like, the second I heard it, I was like, oh, I've seen him in other stuff. I He's most famous for being on Green Acres. He was on Green Acres for a while. Oh, Ava Gabor as well. Yes, with Ava Gabor. But you and I would probably remember him as the Sheriff of Nottingham from Disney's Robin Hood. Oh, yeah! The family that saves together together. He was also in The Fox and the Hound, and he had a small part in uh, Back to the Future 3, but the one that sticks out in my mind the most is Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. once you say that, that sheriff, absolutely. That one I I, I held in more nostalgia than, than The Rescuers, so we're definitely going to have to cover that one at some point. Yeah, I would love to. So, the alligators catch Penny. They seem like they're enormous because they have Penny in their mouth, and Penny seems very small compared to the alligator that, that has her. And Penny's still like, what, five, six, seven years old? Probably five or six? Yeah, probably. That's still a giant alligator. Would be very intimidating if it came and picked me up. But she talks to it like it's just a, a dumb dog. Right. <laughs> 
Why did you have to go and spoil everything? Nero, don't you dare get my <laughs> teddy bear wet. It's adorable. That part I thought was very cute. The way that she she's like the only person who can talk that way to the alligators. Because mm-hmm. Mr. Snoop says something, they'll try to snap at him. We see Bernard and Bianca trying to chase them down or trying to trying to catch up with them. And they take this fly boat, a dragonfly, which is pushing a leaf. Which is another thing that they used a lot of, I guess it's kind of an inside joke. The name of the dragonfly is Evanrude. Evanrude is a company that made outboard motors. Oh, that's funny. I, I, I had no idea why it was named Evanrude, but I just kind of went with, it, went with it, obviously. When I caught that, I was like, Evanrude. That sounds, because I think Evanrude also made other things. I think they made kitchen appliances too, which is how I would have known it. <laughs> and so I was like, that. I had to look that up, but I was like, yeah, they, they were most famous for making outboard motors. So it was literally just a, a one-to-one joke, I guess. So they're, they're following the alligators or can't really see it's pretty murky bianca falls out of the boat leaf at one point and bernard throws a rope to save her where the fuck did he get that rope where did it come from it wasn't in that leaf i saw that for sure you could see inside the leaf totally that didn't make any sense to me i don't know at one point bianca and bernard get past the alligators and they can't find them because it's so swampy and then kind of a, a good shot of the two alligators kind of parting them basically not parting them but like going right past them and not really noticing them. But yeah, I mean, there was some, there was some decent, decent shot use. It wasn't anything super interesting. Something like Land Before Time had some real cinema, cinematography, if you will, Mm -hmm. to that film. This one was a very standard animation and standard like look to them. So it wasn't anything that was going to blow you away with that. The alligators take Penny back to the houseboat. We see, yeah, Mr. Snopes, who is the partner. He also might be... He also might be a lover. I don't really know. It's no, hard to tell. I didn't get that impression. Okay. I just got an impression that he was a business parser or really just a stooge that she hired. Yeah. I mean, because she does. Yeah. She doesn't respect him all that much. And you can kind of tell and kind of more set up that Medusa is obsessed with getting this devil's eye diamond. Penny has found tons of other jewels that look like they would make a shit ton of money for Medusa. But she says, fuck that. I only want the diamond. Bernard and Bianca eventually kind of get on board and the gators find Bernard. We have a cute kind of scene where they're trying to catch Bernard and Bianca and they kind of go into this organ to hide. Like a pipe organ, I guess is that, is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called a pipe organ. And you see one of the gators just hops on the piano, hops on it, and they just start blowing things like crazy. It's like, it's a pretty damn good organ player. And they're just trying to, they're trying to blow the mice up out of the pipes so the other gator can catch it and eat it. It's a cute scene. I I, I kind of like this. It's probably one of my more favorite scenes of, of the movie. I did like it, but I, after a while, I thought it went on a little too long. I don't disagree with you there. <laughs> After a while, I was like, okay, we get it. We get the shtick. We get the shtick. They blow them out of the top. They try to catch it. They miss it. It's happened several times. Yeah. Bernard gets caught in one of the gator's mouths uh, at one point, but Medusa trying to hit the mouse ends up hitting one of the gators on its head, of course, and it spits out Bernard. And ultimately... Bernard and Bianca escape. So to me, that was one of the more interesting moments because Medusa is like, she doesn't like the mice and she wants to kill them and ooh, they're mice. But I guess in in the in that aspect of the world, she can't talk to the mice or it didn't seem like she could, but Penny can talk to the mice. Right. I, I'm, I'm kind of confused on, of this world of who can talk to what? Can humans talk to all animals or are only animals can talk to each other, but the gators don't talk. So you have to be a certain type of animal to talk. I, it just, I, I don't get it. Some humans can talk to some animals. I don't know. There was, I actually read something about this. Somebody asked someone having to do with 
I don't know if it was one of the writers. I think it was one of the screenwriters about this sort of thing. The rule that he, I don't know if he just came up with this on the fly because he was like, it's a fucking movie. Why would you care? <laughs> Uh, the rule he gave was that the animals will only talk to the humans if the humans ask them a direct question. Okay, interesting. I'm sure you could actually find holes in that somewhere. Mm-hmm. It sounds like something he made up on the fly because some, somebody asked him a stupid question and he was like, <laughs> why the fuck are you asking me this? Yeah, that sounds like that kind of answer. It's just a movie. Just take it as at face value at what it is. But they don't set up the rules very well oh yeah whatever well you go with it but you know i'm looking at it now and it bothers me so <laughs> yeah but probably probably didn't as a kid that's because you worry about things like plot and yeah writing yeah, consistency which... and quality yes i try to we get a little scene where medusa calls penny homely and that she won't get adopted well, if i don't get back to the orphanage i'll never get adopted adopted what makes you think anyone would want a homely little girl like you? And we get another kind of lame song after that just kind of slow, sad, lame song. Be brave, little one. Make a wish for each sad little tear. Hold your head up, though no one is near. But I want to say, Penny is not homely by any means. Like, the animators didn't make her... A, a non-cute girl. No. She's kind of got two teeth, kind of like buck teeth, not buck teeth, but... Gap teeth? Yeah, some gap teeth. But besides that, that's not even that. Like, gap gap no. teeth is cute. Like, and she's super cute in this movie. Yeah, I don't know if they tried to uh, kind of make her drawn, like her clothes homely and her hair seemed maybe a little unkempt, mm-hmm. but it was, at no point was I was like, oh yeah, that's an ugly child. And I've seen some ugly children. <laughs> yeah, you're a school teacher. Yeah. <laughs> So we get then a scene of Penny says a prayer before bed, and it's it's pretty depressing. Like, <laughs> it's another one of those sad, depressing moments. But like, honestly, the second that she started doing a prayer at bed, all I could think of was that prayer from Forrest Gump. Dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away. <laughs> That's all I could think of is just like, oh my God, here is this girl who's going to be doing that, that another fucking Jenny prayer, which I think that prayer is so stupid. <laughs> Bernard and Bianca get to Penny. They discuss a plan to escape. They send the dragonfly to go find Ellie Mae. Obviously, in most animation, if you hear an animal sound, it was probably done by a person. This one, Evan Rude, the dragonfly, was they brought this guy out of retirement. This guy named James McDonald. Very famous in Disney movies for being Jack and Gus in Cinderella, the two little mice that Cinderella befriends. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I was like, who the hell are Jack and Gus? And he was also the Dormouse in Alice in Wonderland. Okay, yeah. He did a lot of animal sounds. He was bees and Winnie the Pooh, a wolf and Sword in the Stone. So sort of like a, since we mentioned him in every podcast, kind of a Frank Welker before Frank Welker. <laughs> But yeah, so they send off Evan Rude to go find Ellie Mae and the whiskey drinking guy. There's a little chase scene with bats. A funny comical scene. Yeah. Uh, it he gets chased into... Didn't really do anything for me, but... No, it, it wasn't necessary. It was just kind of like, we know he's a little distracted and he can't get to them because of these bats. Right. Uh, it's now morning and Medusa sends Penny down into the Devil's Bayou cave to find the diamond. You know, it's a pirate's cave. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But it's a small opening, so this is why she needs Penny to get down there. 
any adult is a little too big to get in through that hole. Well, at least those two adults, because yeah. uh, Mr. Snoops <laughs> is quite round, and uh, Madame Medusa's got a little kind of roundness in the hips. Yeah. But she just seems like the kind of person who doesn't get her hands dirty. Yeah, that too. That in itself is sort of the reason why she's obviously not the one down there. Like, she can't be bothered to actually do it. She's got to find someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. After some looking around, they find the diamond, because Bernard and Bianca hide in Penny's dress pocket, and they get down there with her. They find the diamond in a skull how did it get into a skull we don't know because it can't get out it can't fit out of the eye socket right has to go out through the mouth how the fuck did it get there i don't know because movie and that's fine so they can't get it out and then this there's this water that kind of keeps shooting up and coming in making it a little bit of dangerous area eventually they get the diamond out and they get pulled up by Medusa and Snoops. So the diamond's out and Medusa's happy and it's all hers. We cut back to the dragonfly, which eventually escapes the bats and makes it to the house. Comical moments of him just being tired fly. But we find out that a little moonshine will put all the pep back in your step. <laughs> yeah, Disney uses that kind of thing all the time, I feel, and it's like older right. stuff where just like, you gotta have some energy or like, oh shit, you're not feeling good? Little sip of alcohol and you're boom, right as rain. <laughs> or you get after after going a little crazy, yeah. then you're right as rain. Yep. We see a bunch of different animals of the swamp here. We see like a turtle, a rabbit, and the size of Ellie Mae and Luke are just completely off and it bothered me because these mice, and they didn't really look like rats, they look like mice, uh-huh. were the size of like big turtle. and it, Like uh, a guinea pig? Uh, yeah, exactly. Of everything else, like they were the size of everything, every other animal that was in the swamp. And it was just like, holy shit. See, I thought it was the reverse. I thought it was weird that the turtle and the rabbit were tiny. Oh, <laughs> okay. But so all the animals of the swamp band together to go out, or this little group of animals from the swamp band together to go out and save Penny. They meet up with Medusa, try to trap the gators in an elevator. Yeah, it's just kind of like a, a chase fight scene, if you will, that happens. You get Ellie Mae bonking people on her head with her rolling pin and madness ensues. They try to escape using Medusa's swamp mobile. Doesn't have any gas, but Luke's moonshine will do the trick. So <laughs> was he fucking drinking gasoline? Like that's that's pretty much what was happening right there. Uh, it's not the first time I've seen sort of alcohol used as a is a fuel in a cartoon so yeah even though they're really not at all related yeah that would not work here is where we kind of get maybe the most famous shot or famous scene for me at least of the film you have Medusa is trying to follow them is following them she grabs a rope from her rocket swamp mobile and she uses her two gators as water skis and to me like that shot of her following behind holding onto the rope with the gators as the skis is probably the most memorable one of the entire film obviously i don't remember the trailer but i remember seeing sort of clips from the movie and that's one of them that's always been included because it's supposed to be one of the funnier moments i guess it looks kind of terrifying too you have your villain chasing you with gator skis like that that would, that would scare the shit out of me yeah everybody gets away on the skis i think she ends up running into a pole or something right. face first and she's stuck on the pole and we kind of end with her story with the gators snapping at her yeah that's which, probably... which made that didn't make any fucking sense no it did not like why did they turn on her they, they didn't turn on her at any other point it didn't make any sense for them to not still be her lovable lap dogs or whatever right i didn't get that it just it, they just turned on her because the movie said so. We're pretty much close to the conclusion of the film. Penny gets the scene where she's adopted. Yay, she's you know even even the ugly kids can get 
get family sometime, I guess. We kind of end with Bernard and Bianca, or Bianca in particular, wants to go on to a new adventure. And something that I heard a couple times in this film, probably because it's owned by Disney, when you had some moments where they're flying off or something, you hear like a, a random scream, they use Goofy's scream. <laughs> They use that multiple times in this film. It's kind of like Disney's version of the Wilhelm. (laughs) But that's pretty much how the movie ends with Bianca and Bernard going, I guess, on their next adventure, which we'll have to wait and see how that one turns out. But this movie is fine. Watching it now, it's fine. It's not particularly good. I found it to be pretty damn slow. I agree that it was pretty depressing. I had issues with the writing and with how things didn't come back and didn't make sense and you could have edited a whole bunch out and me as an editor, I'm like, why even keep most of these moments in there? I will not be buying this movie out of (laughs) nostalgic love. I will probably not ever watch this movie again unless I have a kid who really wants to or I'm babysitting your kids and they feel like they really want to watch the movie i will probably try and push them to watch rescuers down under right that's the one i i remember loving more and they probably will like that one better my daughter watched this one with me and i don't think she really got into it she got into it enough because it you know the main sort of one of the main characters was that little girl and she kind of liked that but it didn't grab her attention i i was a little bit disappointed going back into it although i thought i might be an inkling that that I wasn't going to have as much of a nostalgic. And honestly, I kind of remember, I don't remember it being my favorite film. Mm -hmm. I remember just sort of being like a film that I would watch if it was on, but I don't remember actively going out to say, hey, I want to watch The Rescuers. It was just sort of like, oh, The Rescuers is on, I'll watch it. Yeah, Yeah, there are a lot of problems. And oddly enough, some of the animators consider this to be their best film that they ever did. Maybe because they were trying to go for a more serious tone and a darker tone. And who knows? I don't really agree. Yeah, my wife watched this with me she said she remembers her parents basically like told her when she was a kid this was her favorite movie and she would watch it all the time and so she she watched it with me at the end basically all she said was well that sucked and then she was done and walked away <laughs> so that's um yeah that's that's kind of how i felt i wouldn't say it sucked but it was fine the movie was was nothing special but yeah it was okay yeah it'd be fine for a one-time watch but it's definitely not something you'd go back and watch over and over and over again yeah All right, as we just went from a pair of mice rescuers, let's now move on to some chipmunk rescuers. And of course, I'm talking about Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. It aired on Disney from 1988 to 1990. Kind of our main cast of characters are Chip. Once we reach the dump, we can hitch a ride back home. Dale. I hope we get back in time for dinner. Monterey Jack, who is the kind of the Australian mouse guy <laughs> with a huge mustache. Don't worry, mice. I'll get you out of there. We have Gadget, who is kind of the cute female tech building chipmunk. Maybe we could raise the whole ship. I'll bet it's the weight of all that treasure that's holding it down. And we've got Zipper the Fly. I will say Gadget, the female mice, might have been one of my earliest memories as one of the first non-human things that I kind of like made me feel funny down there as a kid. (laughs) 
You know, uh, Gadget is <laughs> super cute, but also she's like really smart and is just like, what is this feeling? She's, uh, I kind of like her. It's kind of like, you know, you remember that scene from Lion King where Nala is looking a little too sexual as from the POV shot back into the camera? It's like, oh, damn, Nala. That's kind of how I feel about Gadget. <laughs> Yeah, same same kind of thing. Um, I, I'm gonna take thoughts? your word on that. I yeah. <laughs> I don't remember having that feeling at all watching Lion King. Really? Oh my no. god! That I I think there's a whole generation of people who who were like, oh man, I'd I'd fuck a lion. Like that shot. There's and it's it's literally just one shot, but it's like, damn girl, damn. I can almost guarantee people know exactly what I'm talking all about. Right. And if it's just me, then well, I'm a little fucked up, and everyone just found out about that. <laughs> So, by the way, did you know that this show ties into the movie we just reviewed? No, I didn't think it did at all. It does, and I'll tell you how. Around the late, mid to late 80s, Disney decided that they wanted to revamp The Rescuers as a TV show. So they started developing a TV show about The Rescuers. At the same time, the animation studio also wanted to do another movie. So what they did was they scrapped the TV show, made Rescuers Down Under, and revamped the TV show to become Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Chippendale, this wasn't the first time that they appeared no, for Disney, though. No, but okay. they, they just took the, like, they had already had stories and stuff. That's why they're Rescue Rangers. Because it was basically the Rescuers, and they were going to just, you know, it was going to become a thing where they just rescue someone every week. Mm-hmm. So they just took the concept that they had already fleshed out, and they just inserted Chippendale and made a few new characters. Okay, so they're basically, they're a part of that same rescue aid society that Bianca and Bernard were a part of just like 11 years later or something? I don't know if they actually tie into that, but the whole concept came from the development of a rescuers TV show. Okay. That's cool. Well, I'm going to believe that they are part of the same rescue society uh, because that makes it infinitely cooler. I assume all Disney is connected some way or another. Yeah, they have enough like Easter eggs that kind of make it feel like that is possibly part of it. Yeah. So Chip in this show is the one who kind of looks like Indiana Jones has the <laughs> has that uh, that whole setup. And Dale is the one who has the Magnum P.I. Uh, Hawaiian shirt get up. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's obviously that they just took those two characters indiana jones and magnum pi as the basis for their uh, attire but they're both like kind of detectives and do that kind of stuff so it kind of makes sense for them to be the motivations for chip and dale the voice of dale is by a guy named Corey burton who to me is probably best known for he did brainiac a lot in the superman animated series brainiac i presume i apologize for any discomfort but it was important that I accurately gauge your powers. Also, he did Count Dooku in pretty much everything Star Wars Clone Wars and that kind of stuff. Young Master Skywalker, you're nothing if not relentless. What a surprise. Monterey Jack it had a couple different credits. It sounds like it might have changed at, at certain times. Peter Cullen did the voice at one point, who Peter Cullen is very famously Optimus Prime. Yep. It's been an honor serving with you all. Autobots. And then it sounds like, or it looks like, Jim Cummings might have taken over Monterey Jack at one point, and Jim Cummings is a huge, amazing voice actor in his own right, and I'm pretty sure we've discussed him before. He's uh, very famously, you'll know him as Darkwing Duck. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the combination lock on the vaults of justice. I am Darkwing Duck. 
And uh, he's also, most recently in the last decade or so, been Winnie the Pooh. Well, hello there, Owl. That is a very fine-looking pot of honey you've got there. And then Gadget and Chip were both voiced by the same female. So Chip's voice was a female, but I think that was a, it was a male chipmunk. And then Gadget was the female cute mouse that I had feelings for. <laughs> And they were both voiced by someone named Tress McNeil, who... Is Dot. Yes, most famously, exactly, is Dot Warner from the Animaniacs. Dot, may I call you Dot? Yeah, they call me Dotty, and you die. Also, she plays Principal Skinner's mother in The Simpsons. At my age, I don't have much saliva left, so you'll have to lick my thumb before I can turn the page. Oh, can I just turn the page for you? No. I don't know if she has as many credits as Frank Welker, but it, if you've heard a cartoon, she's probably done something on it as well. Yeah, this show, when I was looking up the different voice actors, every person had like three to 400 credits and they're just tons of cartoons that are like, oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. And they've just been on so much of everything. Other voice actors who have done some bit parts in this show are Rob Paulson, who is famously Yakko from the Animaniacs as well. United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, and Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. Hey, God, you astound me, brain. No. And Alan Oppenheimer did a couple voices on for the show, which we talked about in our very first episode. Exactly, because he did three different voices for The NeverEnding Story. He was also the voice of Skeletor for He-Man. Even our great Frank Welker did a voice on this show, I think just for like one episode or, or so. Right. Just tons of great, well-known Disney voice actors were thrown in for different episodes for these shows. I mean, it makes me, it really makes me want to get into voice acting because if you're good at it, obviously, I mean, I guess that's true to say in any field, but yeah. you know, when you're good and you can do voices, you're going to have work because there is tons of cartoons out there and, and short-lived shows that you know you're just gonna you're gonna get on and they keep using the same people over and over again and so it just it just kind of makes me interested and happy to see that there are so many people that are a part of our lives as for tons of different shows so chippendales the plot of pretty much every episode is they go on different adventures and they kind of solve some mysteries that kind of stuff too they do some rescue every episode doesn't seem to be about rescuing somebody but they do have those elements they kind of just get into different adventures different things that they help people out there cute episodes honestly i only ended up probably watching two of the episodes same because i didn't i didn't love it i'm not gonna lie they were fine they were cute they moved quicker and they you know had some decent pace better than i I would say the rescuers movie did but they weren't ones that blew me away they were fun you know they solved each adventure every episode and moved on to the next one you didn't have to deal with like you know prolonged storylines but as an adult i like storylines that go through episode to episode where you know as a kid this was a great show for a kid it's exactly what i was gonna say it's absolutely fantastic for children and the thing that i loved the most and maybe maybe what the show is most known for is that theme song Each episode that I watched that came up, that first theme song, I just could have like 
put on repeat. Like I loved that theme song, and it is a cool one. It's and it's a little bit longer than I remember, and I liked it. Like it's uh, it's still that that part holds up. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of the theme song. The rest of the show, eh, take it or leave it. Great for kids, not for me now. So pretty much my entire take on Chip and Dale's was fun show, awesome theme song, which is something that has come up before. Yeah, 80s cartoons and 80s 80s TV shows too knew how to do a theme song and knew how to hook you into the show. Beyond that, it was sometimes hit or miss. You watch the first minute and you're just, you're excited. You're you're into it. You know that that theme song, you're going to sing along to it. I Again, my, my wife watched this with me too, the first couple episodes. And she told me she hadn't seen the show in probably 20 years, which is probably similar to me. And once the theme song started coming out, she started belting out every fucking lyric. And she's like, <laughs> holy, I mean, it just... One of those that you forget how much you liked and how much you remembered, but it's uh, it's fun. Yeah, fun show. I watched a couple episodes and it was it's definitely slated just for kids. It doesn't have the rewatchability as some of the other shows, mm-hmm. shows like Animaniac or some of the other Warner Brothers ones where you could go back as an adult and catch adult humor that they threw in and things that you could still enjoy by going back to watch it. This one's pretty much just it's for kids to watch. You know, it's face value. There's not too much depth in there. There's not a lot of jokes for for adults to get, which is fine. So if this is something you're going to go back and rewatch, you know, rewatch it with your kids or your nephews or nieces or someone's else's kids. I don't know. Don't 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 uh, don't kidnap a kid, steal a kid and and just kind of want to watch something with them. (laughs) (laughs) This would be a good show for that. Not, Not something I'll come back to. But if you want to introduce your nephew to a sexy mouse. This is the perfect show for that. Uh, please don't tell me we're ending on that. <laughs> All right, and now we're going to do our casting portion of the show. We didn't really tie this one into anything having to do with mice or chipmunks or anthropomorphic uh, animals. But if you've been listening regularly, you'll know that uh, Adam and I are big, big fans of the Marvel Universe in more or less all of its iterations. I'm always uh, hopeful that more movies or maybe TV shows. I'm more excited about movies, I think, than I am the TV shows. Well, now we're getting we're getting so many new TV shows that I'm getting less and less excited about some of the Marvel shows that are coming out. Like, I'm not going to watch Runaways. I'm not going to watch New Mutants. I know I need to watch Legion, but I haven't watched that yet yeah but there's just so many of them out there like i i kind of i want to get the big spectacle movies probably and get them honed even better yeah more than some of the tv shows well and i realize that they're trying to sort of spread themselves out to different genre types mm-hmm. but they're spreading themselves out to genre types i don't really care about like runaways was posted as sort of the oc in the marvel universe i don't give a shit about the oc <laughs> i didn't watch the oc when it was on so it's it's not something that's geared towards me so it's not really something i'm gonna watch as you mentioned you want more or comic book movies and shows you just want them done the way you like which is just like superhero style yes you don't want them to be different styles i gotcha yeah not really i don't mind like drama and everything in the stories if you're gonna take my heroes make them heroes Mm -hmm. i don't need to see my superheroes in their everyday clothing (laughs) i want them in their goofy ass get-ups with contrived stories and (laughs) i want you know i want all that shit anyway so we are going to cast kind of a small group of characters who if you are at all a fan of the character Deadpool. Oh yeah. You will know of this and this is Agency X. Agency X was sort of founded in the story. It's sort of founded by a character known as Agent X. 
and uh, someone he meets called Sandy Brandenburg, and they kind of start to form up this mercenary agency, and Deadpool becomes a big part of it. And there's been a couple of different iterations of it, and we're going to kind of mix the two, sort of the original and the one that I'm most familiar with from the Deadpool and Cable series that was out in the in the 2000s or so. I don't know about you, I imagined this as something they could add on to the Deadpool series, so yeah. instead of recasting Deadpool, I like how he is, I don't really want to change that, I just imagined Deadpool already exists in this world as Ryan Reynolds. So we're going to do the other characters, Agent X, Outlaw, Sandy Brandenburg, Taskmaster, and Mary Zero. The most recent iteration saw a character named Bob from Hydra, who was kind of hinted at in the Deadpool movie. I think it was sort of teased more than anything. I don't think it was meant to be a setup of anything. Yeah. So we're just going to stick with those. Agent X, Outlaw, uh, Sandy Brandenburg, Taskmaster, and Mary Zero. And I'll kind of talk about the characters a little bit as we go to cast them. And we'll start with Agent X. Okay. He's sort of our leader. Agent X also went through a couple different iterations. Originally, he looked like this sort of badass guy, kind of like a, I don't know, mercenary soldier. He was bald. He's got like this big X on his face. Yeah, it's like an X scar kind of like all all across his entire face. Yes. In the later iterations, he starts to look like the blob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he got really fat. There's the storyline. I think it it goes through in uh, a Cable and Deadpool series later in that run. I think, but yeah, he he like loses his metabolism or something. It gains a lot of weight. Yeah, it's just it's it's a comical. Like one thing you didn't really mention. This group is and and being based off Deadpool, maybe it's kind of already understood. It's a very comical group. They're badass and they're they're good at what they do. Kind of like you know they're kind of mercenaries for hire to an extent, but it's also funny just because they you touch. They tie in with Deadpool so much that I always I always kind of thought of these guys as a, a fun and, and just funny, silly yeah, superhero group. They're very kind of over the top. Yeah, you, you don't need to take them too seriously. Right. You, you look at something like Outlaw's outfit, and you, don't, <laughs> you can't take that shit seriously. Yes, we'll talk about that when we talk about Outlaw. Mm-hmm. All right, so I kind of went, just because there we have enough ripped superheroes i went with sort of the bigger uh, agent x okay although he still has to be able to fight a little bit so i kind of did a little bit of both he needs to be bigger but he needs to be able to handle himself and i guess i'll go ahead and start since i've already started talking about it i kind of stepped out of the traditional actor box and i went with a guy named paul white who if anyone is a wwe fan will know him as the big show well, it's a big show Oh, okay. He's he, he's actually lost some weight recently, so he's, he's trimmed up a little bit. But you know what? They can add a bodysuit if they want to make it a little bit bigger. Um, he's a tall guy, which Agent X always seemed to kind of tower over everyone in the comics. Whether or not he actually was that way, he kind of did. He's an intimidating-looking dude. Paul White, the big show. He can do some action. He could probably do comedy. Those WWE guys are having a pretty good run transitioning into acting, because obviously what they're doing in, in that is acting. So they know how to do that. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen him do some other movies and stuff um the big show like back in the day he was yeah he's been in some other random things oh yeah yeah you know what he was uh, he was in the water boy oh. as i mean he played a wrestler but he played captain insano from the water boy is kind of what i what i remember him as so he's done some random acting and whatnot even though he was acting as a wrestler okay that's an interesting call i mean he's yeah huge and if, if you put on like a lot of fat to him like he would still he would be intimidating kind of like how uh, agent x was when he got fat right. <laughs> right i didn't go the fat route okay because i ultimately decided that hollywood would just put on a like a fat suit for somebody mm-hmm. and so that way i would have the skinny person who could do the action and then 
they could transition to the fat suit if they wanted to do that storyline. Okay. Um, which actually, honestly, if I saw this movie being made, I would love for it to just like end with him losing his metabolism, whatever, and he's just the fat <laughs> ass, and he has to like save the day as the fat ass, and then it just ends with him like eating chips, watching the TV or something, and that's that how he ends his life basically. Kind of a la dodgeball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> Fucking Chuck Norris. So Agent X is very, very similar to Deadpool and has pretty much the exact same Deadpool powers. So, I mean, I even wrote down Ryan Reynolds just to be like, well, maybe he should just play both parts. Isn't Agent X a clone of Deadpool? Not not exactly. Okay. They, so I thought that for a long time, and they were, they hinted at that. They hinted at that for a very long time that, that he was. He was a clone of Deadpool. And then after a while, they kind of showed that he wasn't. But it was kind of weird because he did have the exact same powers, and he was pretty much the same kind of person. Yeah, okay. um, but he was a different person. The person I would probably want the most, and honestly, this is someone who, other than Ryan Reynolds... If I could kind of go back in time a little, just a little bit, this is the person I would have even wanted for my Deadpool. I didn't choose this person, but I just want to bring it up. Okay. Is if I could have Jason Lee, like 15 years younger, I think he would be a perfect Deadpool if he could kind of like get some martial arts background and some other stuff. I love Jason Lee. To me, he's always been like the perfect Merc with a mouth kind of person other than Ryan Reynolds, who I think epitomizes Deadpool. Right. But I went with someone who I think is a great actor. He's done some comedy. He, right now, he's does a lot of indie movies and i know he could get fit and be the alex hayden thinner good looking good fighter we best know him as angel slash warren worthington from x-men the last stand that brett ratner piece of shit film yeah his name is ben foster he's a fantastic oh. actor i know he could do some of the action stuff but he could be a little bit more of like the serious side where i think Al, uh, agent x is a little bit more serious than deadpool but he's got a good look to him where i think he would do good and he's versatile enough that i think he would uh you know once you get into like the fat side he would probably bring some comedy and, and do that well it doesn't bother you that they would technically be in the same universe technically didn't they wipe out x3 from once days of future past they kind of like remap that entire timeline yeah but i mean the character would still exist but i guess they could bring someone else in all right that's fair man enough. i i've i've fucking removed that movie from my brain so i feel like it's yeah it's out of the universe as well no it's okay it's like uh the wolverine origins movie we don't yes we don't talk about that because there was a deadpool there but that deadpool is fucking gone now <laughs> yep all right let's see here who do you want to do next I would like to just go ahead and do Outlaw. All right. Sexy, sexy Outlaw. Sexy Outlaw. Outlaw is a character who basically wears a cowboy hat and what looks like some sort of leather bikini, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, sometimes I see her with chaps on, but that's about it. It's, it's bikini with chaps and a, a cowboy hat, yep. and she she looks good. <laughs> she, yeah. She's very, very sultry looking, just pretty much like that. Those the proportions in a comic book that would never work, where the chest is way big, the hips are big and the waist is so tiny over overly sexualized and she's wearing an outfit that no person in their right mind would wear to do that <laughs> sort of work that she does correct all right so she is kind of the the bombshell of the of the team yeah you gotta have someone hot you gotta have someone who could who could work that crazy outfit why don't you start this one i was very close to putting jamie presley as outlaw because she's kind of she's got like that southern voice and she has got the body for it jamie presley in her prime or not in her prime Yes, in her prime. Jamie Presley, like, a la Poison Ivy 2 or whatever. Yeah, 10 years ago, 15 yes. years ago. Would she? I would agree with you. She would have been perfect. 
That's why I ultimately didn't pick her, but she has got that body and like that Southern kind of outlaw thing. She would have done it perfectly. Yeah. I went with just another bombshell. She's a very, very attractive woman. She was in the movie Battleship, which was a terrible film, but (laughs) she, I think, has the exact look that I'm going for, and that's Brooklyn Decker. Okay. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, take a look at some shots with her in a bikini or something and it's just like oh yeah i can i can see her being outlaw yeah no i can definitely see it she's got the the blonde bombshell look very pretty yeah i'd buy it personally i'm gonna like my pick better but that's only because i don't okay. really know brooklyn Deckler's work i mean i don't think you have to get the best actress for this part <laughs> fair enough fair <laughs> it's enough. not like we don't need meryl streep you know going around oh I my mean, god I would pay money to see Meryl Streep play this part. I would totally pay to go see this. I, you know, she could do it now. I would go see it. So I actually went with an actress who already existed in the MCU. So she could make this cross uh, if you wanted to. She's currently on my new favorite TV show, The Orville. Seth MacFarlane's sort of ode to Star Trek, which have you watched that, The Orville? I have not tried it at all. Oh, I love it. I think you'll like it. It's a good mix of silly comedy and actual sort of dramatic storytelling. It's not all comedy. Um, I went with Adrienne Pilecki. I hope I'm saying her name right. Uh, Palicki, Palicki, I'm not sure. I think it's Palicki. She was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's in Orville. Oh, yeah, yeah. She played uh, She played Mockingbird in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Okay, I, I, remember, I know her. She's good. She's got a stunning face. I bet she could do a good sort of Texas accent. I really liked her for this, so I went with I went with her. Okay, I think she's, uh, she's decent. There's someone else who I just realized who I think would also be a good call because she is very much a blonde bombshell with a great body. She is a, does a lot of comedic work, which I think would fit into this kind of group. Uh, that's Mircea Monroe. It's M-I-R-C-E-A Monroe. She's been in a couple different things. Nothing huge. Most people might remember her as... Uh, kind of a bit part in How I Met Your Mother. I remember her because she was in a show that I worked on, a, a web series that I worked on a long time ago. But she kind of has a Jamie Presley look to her when, you know, Jamie Presley was a little younger. And she has got like the outrageous body that Outlaw kind of shows. She kind of looks like a, a younger Charlize Theron almost. A, oh, yeah, yeah. I could see that too. Yeah. Um, but she's she's got more curves than Charlize Theron does. <laughs> Which Charlie Theron is absolutely stunning. I don't want to put anything by its that, but I'm just saying Mercedes Monroe kind of has more. But yeah, so I I'm okay with your pick. I like my pick okay, but actually I think I might have decided I like Mercedes Monroe best. <laughs> okay, no, it's fine. No, I can definitely. You know what? I think I like this pick better than your other one. I think I like this one better than Brooklyn Decker. So uh, let's go with Sandy Brandenburg. Actually, quite a few women in this yes. on this team. Uh, Sandy Brandenburg is kind of kind of the front office, mm-hmm. if you will, of the agency. She's sort of the I don't want to use the term secretary, but think more of uh, Annie Potts character in Ghostbusters. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she also in the comics actually is Agent X's love interest. At some points of it, she becomes his love interest. I think it's kind of in and out, off and on sort of thing. Well, I, I also read that Agent X also banged Outlaw at one point and then kind of went back to banging Sandy Brandenburg. It, it, they, they're kind of maybe an incestuous group a little bit. Because <laughs> also Taskmaster apparently had things with Outlaw and then maybe Sandy at one point. Oh, yeah, they were just, just one of those groups. They're all banging each other. They were the friends of Marvel Universe. <laughs> 
I like that. So for this one, I went with, uh, I wouldn't say she's an unknown, but she's not, uh, she's not super known in the, in the live action world. She's a little bit more known in the voiceover world, but she does some, she's done some really good live action stuff. And I don't know. I just kind of was like, you know what? I think she'd fit really well in this. So for my Sandy Brandenburg, I went with an actress named Tara Platt. Mostly she's known for voiceover stuff. She's most known for being voices on like cartoons like Naruto. Uh, She's kind of like one of those ones that she's in everything, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't have like a main character that you'd know her for. But she live action stuff. She was in the movie The Call with Halle Berry, but she's done a lot of really good stuff. And I I thought she would fit really well with, with this one. Okay, I, I am very apathetic to that pick because I don't know her at all. <laughs> right. Well, I was so, the same. I was the same yeah. way with uh, with your pick for outlaws. So. Yeah, Brooklyn Decker. Yeah. yeah. So I can't say it's a good choice or a bad choice, but I'm going to say I think I like my choice better. So yes, as you kind of mentioned, Sandy Brandenburg is kind of the secretary, but she's got to be somewhat badass. And and for me, I kind of stuck with semi a comical aspect. And so someone who has done some comical movies and but who can hold her own and you know, she's got to be a strong female if she's going to be around some of these other people. I went with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is most famous for me for being Ramona Flowers on Scott Pilgrim versus the world. She is a fantastic actress. I, I mean, I love her how sarcastic she can be in that movie and i think she would have to she'd be able to hold her own in a movie like this she's a gorgeous brunette i think she would fall in well with kind of um being a maybe balance isn't the right word to outlaw but you need to have a a strong beautiful actress who can like stand being around this woman who doesn't wear any clothes but (laughs) really hold her own right and i think i could see her kind of like tossing in some some jokes and being pretty sarcastic to her uh so that's who i like is mary elizabeth winstead Okay. I mean, also, I don't really know your pick that well because I never saw Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, God, we got to change that, John. Such a good movie. (laughs) Fuck, it's so good. I also am going to be apathetic towards your pick for that same reason. (laughs) Fine. Well, then, fuck you. (laughs) All right, so now we're going to do Mary Zero, who has kind of an interesting story. She's a teenager. She has this ability that makes her invisible and inaudible to other people. I don't know if it's necessarily that she's invisible. It's just that she goes unnoticed. I think it also affects memory because once her power is manifested, her parents like immediately forgot all about her that she existed yeah and so she only falls into this team because agent x seems to be the only one who notices her there's sort of an accident where agent x kind of forces her off the road for something and he notices her and she kind of becomes infatuated with him because of it and so she becomes part of the team sort of for this reason this character also she gets depowered after the end of m day she's one of like marvel ended up kind of like depowering a shit ton of mutants after scarlet which is m day event yeah this character mary zero is one of those so she's not really one that does anything in the marvel universe anymore i just wanted to add that in there so she's kind of a short-lived character it seemed like a way for them to take characters that they didn't really want to deal with anymore and just sort of like depower them and didn't have to deal with them yeah because it's funny because the only characters that like really fully got depowered were mostly the lame ones yes and then i think jubilee also got depowered but then she became a vampire and has some other vampire yeah m day was (laughs) a fantastic storyline but they used the post m day fix for a lot of just like yeah hey, let's get rid of our lamer characters or ones that we don't use which is a shame because people will talk about diversity in superheroes mm-hmm. and, and both marvel and dc have diversity in their superheroes but unfortunately you have to 
you have to know where to look. Mm -hmm. Mary Zero is a young black girl, which is good. It makes for a, a new kind of, of hero, someone, you know, someone we hadn't really seen before, mm -hmm. uh, which is why I wanted to do her instead of Bob from Hydra, because he's just another yeah. white guy from Hydra. And so I went with a young lady named Yara Shahida, who is most famous for being on the show Blackish. Okay. She plays the daughter in Blackish. I've heard so many good things about that show. Yes. I just haven't watched it yet, but I've heard it's fantastic. Blackish and the Goldbergs are two shows that I've heard good things about, but I've not yet seen either one of them. Yeah, they're kind of on my list that I need to get to, but there's so much damn good content out there. It's it's hard to get to. Everything. I know. There were a couple pictures where she kind of looked like the character anyway, like the way she had her hair. I was like, oh, shit, she looks like Mary Zero. So that, yeah, that's my pick for uh, for Mary. Uh, uh, probably a good call. So she looks to be around 17-ish, 18-ish. Uh -huh. I went a little bit younger. Uh, I went with a girl who is... 14 right now so also but still also teenager she is best known as playing hush puppy in the movie beasts of the southern oh, wild she was yes. also she was also in the annie remake okay and she was also in 12 years a slave she is already establishing herself as an amazing young actress her name is hard to pronounce and so i'm gonna fuck it up but it's Cuban Zane Wallace. Yeah, so she's a young, very good actress. I, I I think she would, you know, I don't know too much about the Mary Zero character, but this actress I think would jump into the part really well. Uh, she could probably do anything really well. And uh, yeah, so that's who I went with. I think I like your pick a little bit better, honestly. Yay, I think I like my pick better too. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I'm going to like my pick for Taskmaster better. Oh, I think when you hear mine, you will switch to mine. I have a good feeling. All right, Mr. Big Shot, put your money where your mouth is. Who did you pick for Taskmaster? Taskmaster in general, he is the character here. He is like the most well-known character out of this entire group. He has the most storied history. He kind of was a villain against uh, Captain America for a long time. And then he kind of has a kind of switch into where he becomes kind of like a, not really a vigilante, but a mercenary for a while. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of gone back back and forth between his allegiances and you know if he's really a bad guy or not but taskmaster famously is an amazing fighter yeah he should be you know well known as one of the best fighters of marvel universe pretty much at least of 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 the humans of any kind of like who doesn't have like superpowers right he's just kind of like an immensely well-trained fighter who can do in any fighting style he is he is absolutely amazing he's a really and he looks cool he's got a fucking skull for a mask i know he kind of has sort of vibes of the punisher almost and that kind of helped me make my choice because you don't have to see his face ah i will i want to throw this out here if there ever was like a taskmaster maybe not not like biopic but if they did like a younger taskmaster of like kind of how he came to be someone who i would maybe pick is Taylor Lautner, who was famously in the shitty Twilight movies right. as the werewolf guy. I can't even remember his name. The one who constantly had his shirt off. Con yes, that's all he did. But if you've ever seen Taylor Lautner do martial arts, there's a ton of videos. Him as a kid, like he was an insane black belt huh. when he was like nine or 10 years old. Like that guy knows martial arts. Okay. It's pretty sick. He's probably old enough now that if they wanted a young Taskmaster, they could do it. If they wanted a tongue, I didn't want a young Taskmaster I didn't for either. my- I like the idea of a slightly older Taskmaster. Yes, I felt he should be the oldest person in this crew, maybe also partly because he is the most storied character. Right. And because you don't see his face, I went with an amazing martial artist who you don't see his face in a lot of the movies he does. I went with Ray Park. Oh, yeah. He is uh, famously 
one of the honestly well he's the only good thing about the star wars episode one in my opinion he's the only good thing that came out of that movie because mm-hmm. I, I will say the one thing i liked the best and the one thing i hated the most out of that movie are the same thing yeah that fight whatever you say about the rest of the movie the fight scene between darth maul qui-gon jinn and obi-wan kenobi was a great fight scene mm-hmm. uh, the reveal about the double-sided lightsaber i thought was one of the one of the most fun cinematic things you know to come out of that universe uh the thing i hated about the most is that they killed him yeah oddly enough he also already exists in this universe because he was towed in the uh, yeah, original x-men i know but but tyler main is you don't see him as Sabretooth anymore <laughs> yeah it's true and also ray park was also snake eyes in uh, gi joe mm-hmm. i mean as long as they they could find someone else to do a voice if they wanted to he's got a notoriously very uh, thick scottish accent because he's scottish so if they didn't want to take his mask off at all yeah i could totally buy that because i don't know if i if i thought of him but sometimes i'm afraid to use ray park because i feel it's kind of like a cop-out answer yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you think of you know taskmaster you need one of the best fighters and ray park is one of the best cinematic fighters i will not so. dispute you there i will not dispute you there i you know what i would be perfectly happy seeing ray park as taskmaster i still think i like my pick better no see i you love ray park i, I thought you were going to be giddy when you heard me mention his name <laughs> uh you know i'm i'm very happy about it not that i would necessarily need to see taskmaster without the mask but i kind of would wouldn't mind seeing the person behind the mask. And so I went with someone who is one, a good actor, and two, is actually notoriously a very good martial artist. Oh, I think I know who you're going with this. My pick for Taskmaster is Michael Jai White. Oh, okay. I didn't. That was not the name I thought you were going to say. Where did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to go with Keanu Reeves. No, I went with Michael Jai White. Okay. No, he is. I mean, yeah, he's a well-known strong fighter as well. He's yes. he's getting up there in age and he's he is way thicker than I would ever want my Taskmaster to be. Oh, really? Because I see him I see him as sort of like a big hulking, not overly hulking guy, but a big kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, in the comics, they, they put too much muscle on, <laughs> on Taskmaster. Honestly, if I were to have a Taskmaster, I mean, I would want him to be a little bit more in the vein of a Ryan Reynolds body or something like that, who is big and strong, but he's still lean enough right. to, to do all of the martial arts moves. Toned but lean. Yeah, where someone like, you know, Michael Jai White is... Not quite Terry Crews style, but like he's right. he's pretty big. And I can't imagine Terry Crews and Michael Jai White. I mean, even though Michael Jai White is a great martial artist, I don't know. I just don't. That's not the body I imagine for Taskmaster. But, All right. Okay. That's fair enough. So we uh, didn't have any common picks, really. In this one? No, I, I seriously thought you were going to go with Ray Park as well. I think I kind of thought Ray Park was almost copping out and I wanted to go somewhere different with it. So this is sort of, I guess this is going to be one of those ones where we kind of let bygones be bygones. You can like your picks and I'll like my picks. Yes, yeah, I do. I think I make a great casting agent on this movie. <laughs> We'll see. We can put our resume out there and, and uh, see which one's better. And this is a good opportunity to say, uh, you as the listener, why don't you tell us what you thought? Did you think that Adam's pick for uh, <laughs> Agency X movie was better? Or did you think it was mine? Or do you have your own thoughts? Yeah, none of these characters have ever been on film that I know of yet. And so it'd be kind of fun to hear other ideas that you've got out there. Yeah, the ideas are wide open. And uh, uh, fuck, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
please join us next time for a steroid-filled testosterone fest, where we review the 1987 Arnold Schwarzenegger film The Running Man, we also review American Gladiators, and we do a recasting of The Running Man. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast. That's at Blast Past Cast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.